Hi, Tiffany here. Just want to let you know that we're going to be giving away a copy of the book featured on this episode. So visit our Instagram page at the Bittersweet Life Podcast to find out how you can win. This is The Bittersweet Life. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. I'm Katie Sewell. I've been in the radio business for nearly 20 years, mostly working for public radio in the United States. In 2013, I quit my stable job and I moved to Rome for just a year. That's where this podcast begins. And if you're new, don't be afraid to start at the beginning. I'd hate for you to miss out on the adventure. That adventure might inspire you to do something crazy, like quit your stable job and move to Rome for just one year. And my co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and author of Midnight in the Piazza. And she's also an expat who moved to Rome over a decade ago with the determination to stay whatever it took. She's also my childhood friend. I met her on the school bus in the sixth grade. I hope you like the show, and if you do, tell a friend and take the time to write us a review. And if you've listened to the show for years, consider a donation. Your financial support is huge to us. In fact, I can't think of a donation to anywhere that would be more appreciated than what it will be to us. We'll send you a handwritten thank you note, and in addition to helping us pay hosting fees and other bills, your support will help us grow the show, which is absolutely the key to this program continuing in the years to come. So if you love it, if we make your life a little better, please pay whatever you can to support the art that you enjoy. Visit thebittersweetlife.net on your desktop and click the donate button, or tweet us at bittersweetpod and we'll send you a link. Thank you so much. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined by Francesca Montillo. She was born in Italy. She now lives in Boston, where it's been freezing cold for the last few weeks. And that's where she is much of the time. But she's a culinary instructor and a culinary tour leader in Italy, showcasing Italy's regional cuisines to travelers and to students. And she's the creator of Lazy Italian Culinary Adventures. You can find out more at thelazyitalian.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. And they can hear you uh, if they don't get enough from today's show. Go back to episodes 151 and 152, Cooking, and you're on those shows as well. Thanks so much for coming back and joining us again. No, thank you for having me. It's great. It's a great pleasure to be back. We are celebrating the release of your new cookbook, the five-ingredient Italian cookbook, 101 Regional Classics Made Simple. The copy I ordered just arrived yesterday, so I haven't tried anything yet, but I'm super excited to actually try it. I have read through most of it at this point, but first we'll talk. A lot has happened since episodes passed. What has happened? It's been about a year at least, I think. It has, yeah. Thankfully, the business and the book I have picked up and I'm moving along quite nicely, so there's been a lot of... Uh, excitement as you know the book I also did a number of culinary tours in 2018 I was very fortunate to do one with a very well-known tv chef so that was very exciting and just moving along I think last year I had over 20 cooking classes that I led as well so plugging away (laughs) 
this is a five ingredient Italian cookbook. So super simple right. recipes. And, and some of them looking through the book don't even have more than five steps to put it together. All right. Why right. did you decide to do it this way? I have a much fatter Italian cookbook on my shelf. Well, really to stick with my brand, as you know, and as we spoke in the past, the name of my business, the Lazy Italian, Lazy Italian Culinary Adventures. And that's not to say that we really take a lot of shortcuts. That's because we focus on recipes that can be easily replicated at home. I'm not going to lie and say that every Italian recipe is easy and takes a number of steps and only five ingredients. You know well, you lived in Italy. There are plenty of recipes in Italy that have a laundry list of ingredients. But for my audience, for my followers, uh, it's really about making Italian cooking attainable at home for the busy mom or the busy dad. It's not about those what I call celebratory meals that you make at Christmas and uh, at Easter, it's about everyday life, and those recipes are what I showcase in my classes and in the book. Yeah, although you do have tiramisu in here, which I always thought was a terribly complicated dessert to make. No. In my mind, anyway. It's in your mind. It's, it's actually tiramisu is probably, I would say, the easiest recipe in the book. There's no cooking. It's assembling, so it couldn't get any easier. But why do so many people make it so poorly? I find it so hard to find a good tiramisu. There are a number of reasons. I think that the three ingredients in tiramisu that you can't mess around with are mascarpone cheese, espresso coffee, and traditionally it's made with ladyfingers, store-bought ladyfingers. And those are the three ingredients that you can't really substitute or play with. And I think uh, a lot of people take short, even more shortcuts, even though it's already easy enough, by either not using quality imported mascarpone cheese or the espresso maybe is too weak and it's not strong enough to flavor the ladyfingers. In my recipe, I don't even use raw eggs just because I know a lot of people are hesitant about doing that, even though the chances of anything happening with raw eggs are so slim. It's made with mascarpone, whipping cream, powdered sugar, espresso, and ladyfingers. Couldn't get any more straightforward than that. Well, I'm going to try it because it's the one dessert I order every time I it's on the menu. Mm -hmm. And if I could make my own that was not a disappointment, I would love that. We actually, uh, I am a contributor for the Italian Sons and Daughters of America a, a website. Mm -hmm. And we actually did that recipe live on Facebook Live oh. for their community just to showcase just how simple it is and i think we whipped it together in like 12 minutes okay oh, all right i'm gonna look that up yes i'll send you the video to that <laughs> please do and we can share that around too you open this book with a very basic question which is what is italian cooking right or maybe that's not a basic question how would you answer that question you know it depends on who you ask and where you ask uh, again as you know italian cook is very regional I think that we have a misconception here in the States that Italian cooking is red sauce. Yes. It's garlic, it's pasta, and parsley. Like those are like what we consider Italian cooking here. Italian and Italian-American cuisine is very different. In Italy, they don't embellish for the sake of embellishing a dish. Everything that's used in a recipe has a reason for being there. Whereas here, I feel like we have the tendency of just a little bit of this, let me throw on a little bit of that. And if I'm being honest, I think that we do that because a lot of the food here is eaten out of season, so it's not as flavorful. We add on thinking that we're going to make something better, you know. Tomatoes in December in Boston just have no flavor. It doesn't matter how much garlic oil, you know, you, you throw on it. But I think that if folks just get used to eating more 
in season, they'll find that there's more flavor. Yeah. Do you have a shortcut in the U.S.? And I'm not sure how it is in, say, the U.K. or Australia, but I would imagine it's similar. We can get anything at any time in the grocery store. Whereas when I was living in Italy, there were some grocery stores where you could get everything, but the rotation seemed a little bit more seasonal, I guess, where sometimes you just couldn't get a certain kind of lettuce or a certain kind of tomato or whatever. Right. So here I feel like some people don't even know what seasonally is. Right. Is there some sort of shorthand to learn what should be around? So I did talk a little bit about that in the book, just to point things out to folks of what uh, what's in season and what's not. For example, green beans, fresh green beans are more of a summer treat. Eggplants and zucchinis, those are really summer spring and summer asparagus whereas winter is more about broccoli cauliflower potato well potatoes are pretty year-round but more eaten in the winter the sturdier hottier cabbages those are all more wintry vegetables tomatoes you know I, I I'm spoiled in southern Italy where I'm from just a simple tomato with salt in August is it's like eating candy it's that good yeah it is it is. Can't compare it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm also mindful, too, that folks in the U.S. just don't have the the time or the liberty of shopping on the daily, like a lot of the Italians do. So I talk about scheduling your meals for what's on sale, what's in season, because people here are not going to have the time to go shopping more than once a week. Ugh, that's our culture and lifestyle, right? Um, so you were mentioning that Italy is very regional. What you're going to find in the north is very different from what you're going to find in the south. Right. Before we get into sort of the differences there, would you say that the one thing that unifies Italy is this seasonality as far as the approach? Seasonality and also too like the sharing of the family meals. That's universal in Italy. Uh, I mean, dinner time is very sacred to Italians. That's something that's shared throughout. When it comes to the actual foods and the cuisine, that's definitely the northern Italy tends to be richer in cuisine as opposed to the southern Italians. Can you give us some examples of, say, how northern Italy's cuisine is going to be different than southern versus Rome or Florence, where people often go on vacation? Sure, sure. So for one thing, I would say like the fat, the fat that's used in southern Italy to flavor foods is mostly olive oil. Um, Whereas in northern Italy, there is more the use of heavy cream and butter. Again, just making use of what they have more available. Southern Italy has more olive trees, so they're going to use more olive oil. Northern Italy has more cows, so they're going to use <laughs> more milk and butter and cream. Yeah. That's just one aspect of it. Southern Italy, they eat more dry pasta, packaged pasta, or pasta made with water, just flour and water. Northern Italy, you're going to find that the pasta there is frequently made with eggs or stuffed in some fashion, so it's a lot richer. Do you prefer the South, since that's where you're from? Um, it depends on where I am. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't pick. I, Southern cuisine is also a lot spicier. They use a lot more of uh, peperoncino, which is hot pepper, so it's, it's got a, definitely has more of a kick to it. Northern Italy, or from Tuscany and above, they use a lot more beef, too, as opposed to where Southern Italy, it's more of pork, which I personally prefer over the beef. So that's just another difference that you'll find um, between northern and southern. Yeah, that's interesting. So what would you say that Americans, because this this book is sort of aimed at an American audience, although you could really use it anywhere you are in the world. But what do you think Americans get wrong about Italian cooking? Adding in a lot of unnecessary ingredients 
and overcomplicating recipes. One of the comments I frequently get in my classes is, I didn't realize how easy this was. Or you only need these few ingredients. I thought you would need more. Or one of the things that I'm often told is, I didn't know you could do this. That's a big one. I feel like a lot of home cooks have some preconceived or preformed rules about cooking. And there are and there aren't, but I also, I hope that this book and just through my classes, it invites people to be a little bit more experiential in the kitchen and not worry so much about, quote unquote, breaking rules. Yeah. Well, give me an example of what, what are they responding to when they're saying, I didn't know I could do this. Is it something that you would consider surprising? Let's see. Uh, like when we make risotto, that's one example. Uh, they'll, oh, or even just wrapping prosciutto with asparagus. I never thought to do this. I didn't think I could do this. I didn't know we could do this. That's one example. I make a turkey bolognese sauce, which is more Italian-American than actually how they make it in Italy. But that's another thing folks will say, oh, I, I didn't know I could do this. Oh, I didn't know uh, that this could be done. I'm like, who's stopping you? You know, there's no food police. Is it quote-unquote authentic Italian? Perhaps, perhaps not. But again, it's what works for you when you're at home for your family we sort of have this rule following thing maybe right that we are somehow failing if we do <laughs> if we don't do something if we experiment so one of the questions that tiffany wanted me to ask you was and i don't know if you have an answer for this or not because you specialize in italian cuisine and italian tourists but she wanted to know what you would think makes italian cuisine different from other cuisines in the world Oh, it's better. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she would agree. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, I, I don't know. I can't say that I have been exposed to uh, that much other cuisine, even here uh, in the States. I'm usually always cooking Italian or eating Italian, with the exception of some good Chinese food. I mean, I can't say that I would know, other than to say that I find just the flavor is a lot more intensified in Italy and Italian cooking. In that regards, that, I guess, makes it a little bit different. Hello, Tiffany here, breaking into the show briefly to remind you that if you haven't heard our super secret truth or dare episode, it's not too late. Everyone who has heard the episode has loved how much we embarrassed ourselves. Katie makes a phone call that I cannot believe she actually made. I could never ever have done it. And I love how nervous she sounds during the call. And I sing. That's right. After years of hearing me talk about singing opera on the show, you actually made me prove it. On a street corner in Rome, no less. So the show is full of truths or dares, and I really hope you won't miss out on hearing it. Here's how you can get it. The first way is to make a donation of $50 or more to The Bittersweet Life. We need your financial support to keep the show going. So this is a win-win for everyone if you love the show. You can find a donation link in our show notes or at thebittersweetlife.net. The second way is to make a recurring monthly donation of $5 or more. Regular donors really help us plan how we will pay the web hosting fees and other bills that come up every month. Just use the same donate link and click recurring donation. It's that simple. And finally, the third way is to tell others about the show in a big way. Write a blog post about it. Make a YouTube video. Write an article in your newspaper about it. Whatever you do, share it with us and we will send you the Secret Truth or Dare episode and post your article on our website and social media sites. Thank you so, so much for your support of the show. You really are what keeps us going. 
And now back to the show. Okay, so maybe you have an answer to our other question. What do you think it is about Italian food that makes it so universally loved? I honestly think that a lot of the Italian dishes are very unpretentious. They're not, quote unquote, snobby or requiring a lot of effort. Pasta, cacio and pepe, which is just pasta with cheese and black pepper. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Everyone's going to like that because it's so simple. I think that Italian cooking lets people realize that as long as you have quality ingredients, the quantity doesn't matter. Yeah. So you would say that we can't, I mean, this cookbook is evidence that you can make proper Italian food outside of Italy. As long as you have quality ingredients. Yes, I would say definitely. I think that as much as you, I'm not one that to proclaim that you have to follow rules. When you're cooking with just a few ingredients, you're going to want quality. And you, yes, you can definitely find very good quality products here in the States now. If you know what you're looking for. So if you go to a, the ethnic food aisle, say, in the grocery store, particularly in the United States, you're going to find just row after row after row of tomato sauce with olives, with garlic, with whatever. Right. Almost as if there's no other options in the right. world. Like that's all we have for pasta. Right. So maybe that is part of the reason why we have such a weird, distorted view of what Italian food is over here. Definitely. I think there's a lot of add-ons. For example, one thing um, in my classes when we use breadcrumbs, I always advocate for just bakery-style breadcrumbs that you would get either at the bakery or at the bakery section of your grocery store. Here, I see a lot of prepackaged breadcrumbs that have a lot of added seasonings to them, whether it's parsley, whether it's spices of some kind. So I always tell my students, get the plainest kind you can get. Make sure it's good quality. And then you add on the spices or the seasons that you like. That way you have more control of, of your final product. So what spices would I need to have in my house if I wanted to be prepared for Italian cooking? Sure. More than spices, which for spice, I would just say like pepperoncino, which is the hot pepper flakes. More than spices, I would say fresh herbs are key uh, in Italian cooking. So fresh flat leaf parsley has more flavor than the curly one basil if it's in season and even when it's not like during the summer months what I do is I plant a lot of it and then I freeze it basil actually freezes really well so you can have that year round the only dry herb I would say I would recommend is oregano that adds a lot of flavor and if you just rub it between your fingers before using it you'll release all the oils and just add flavor to it good olive oil good Parmesan cheese. Those are like the key ingredients to fill your pantry with to make really great dishes. And what about from a kitchen utensil point of view? So Italians seem to have a love affair with wooden spoons. <laughs> Every counter you go to of an Italian household, you see mine is no exception. I probably have 300 wooden spoons. <laughs> Colanders for straining your pasta vegetables those are going to be key tools i have a terracotta sauce pot that i make my sauce in which you can find here at stores like home goods and marshall's and they're very inexpensive and then just the sauce comes out really great in them everyday tools like baking sheets if you want to roast vegetables in the oven you're going to need some nice baking sheets to do that equip your kitchen to success yeah but almost like the the simple ingredients that's not very many things no it really isn't. And talents don't really have a lot of use for things like pressure cookers. Those other gadgets that I see these days, I don't even know what they are. The, the 
slow cookers. Oh, yeah. 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 They don't really have use for like mechanical stuff. They like the old fashioned stuff that um, are less expensive, take less space on your counters, and uh, you can multi use for a lot of things. So, another friend of mine really wanted me to ask you about the al dente thing mm-hmm. with pasta. Yes. He says that he always prefers it a little more well done than that. But maybe this is, again, one of your rule things. But he feels like he's supposed to make it al dente. And if he chooses to, like, overdo it, then he somehow is failing. Breaking again one of those rules. Yeah, exactly. You know, al dente, as you know, means to the tooth. That means that it's supposed to have a little bite to it. If he prefers it a little bit past that, I will not be there shaming him for it, that's for sure. (laughs) The only thing I would say with that is if you're going to make like some kind of baked pasta, you don't want to cook it for too long because it's going to keep cooking in the oven. And I've had a few dishes where it was cooked al dente on the stove, and then when it's baked in the oven, it's just a little too mushy. But again, if that's his preference... No one's going to shame him. Yes, except for maybe the people eating it if it's not their preference. <laughs> I told him he could he could interpret to the tooth as being like whatever his tooth prefers. Exactly. You know, and maybe that would be the way to, way to look at it. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there a way for us to give maybe a couple examples of what we're talking about here? So people could hear, like when you're talking about five ingredients, give us an idea of what is a dish that's in here that somebody would find that they could make. I'm hoping that out of 101 recipes, a lot of them are going to appeal to the audience because it's really broken down into appetizers, pasta, chicken, beef, desserts, fish. So there's no, again, uh, other than a few recipes from the bread chapter and the and the pizza and the focaccia chapter, which is a, in general, it's a little bit more work just because working with yeast, especially if you're a novice cook, is probably not something you want to start tackling, but I'm really optimistic that any of the other dishes folks at home would be able to make. There's chicken salt and bocca. It's just a couple of ingredients, again, chicken, prosciutto, that people should be able to whip at home quite easily. There's the carbonara, the cacio and pepe, the uh, pasta olio, which is just garlic and oil. And it's really, I think, one of the things that I really liked that we were able to do in the book is to categorize it with whether something's 30 minutes or less. So folks know going in how long something's going to take more or less in the kitchen, whether it's vegan or vegetarian, or they can select dishes based on those categories too, which I think will have some appeal to the readers. Was it hard to do 101? Were you casting about for extra recipes or were you having to take things out? (laughs) I've definitely had to take things out. Uh, Even now when folks ask me, oh, is that in the book? I have to rethink did that make it in or did that not make it it definitely I could have kept going and going (laughs) when we talked before it was because Tiffany and I had both fallen off the rails and were not doing a great job of cooking particularly me I think I was just eating like lunch meat and apples and popcorn and whatever I could find (laughs) laying about but you do work with a lot with newer cooks or even cooks that just feel like there's certain rules that they need to follow. What kind of things do you tell people to encourage them or to get them going? When I teach my classes, I definitely want to instill in them these, I guess I've been in, a, in, in the States now for so long that I'm leaning towards my cooking style to be more of the working person who commutes, who has a full schedule. And when I get home, I myself don't want to be spending hours in the And I love to cook and I don't want to be spending hours in the kitchen. So what I tell my students is, if you like it, it's okay. There are no 
food police as long as to your preference. No recipes written in stone. This is a guidebook, really. When you get home, if you look at a recipe that calls for beef, like for the bricciole, which is the, the beef bricciole, if you prefer chicken, use a thin chicken cutlet. Don't make it so difficult for yourself that, that it'll stop you from going in the kitchen to begin with. To give you an example of this not being any, anything written in stone, in southern Italy, pecorino romano is, is used a lot as the cheese of choice. I have a lot of family members who prefer the parma, the parmigiano, which is a northern thing. Again, it goes to show with preference, what do you like? What does your family like? What will they be happy with and not with, again, these preconceived rules? Yeah. Is there a way to share one of these verbally? Maybe everybody can just run to the store and we can all make something together tonight? Sure, that would be nice. Let's see. Out of... I've cooked most of these in my cooking classes, and one of the ones that folks really like are the prosciutto wrapped asparagus. Mm, Those go wonderful as an appetizer or as a light lunch, and they're very simple to make, and they're made in the oven, so the oven pretty much... That's another thing I mentioned in the book is that I like oven recipes because the oven does the work for you. (laughs) Yeah, you get home, you throw it in, you're done. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So like for the prosciutto wrapped asparagus... All folks would have to do is to snip the ends of the asparagus, uh, which if folks aren't used to cooking with asparagus, all you have to do is sort of bend the bottom part of the stem and the stem will automatically break where it's supposed to. You just have to snip the end a little bit. Like I mentioned in this particular recipe, that piece is fully edible. So if you don't want to throw it out, can always just save it and use it for a vegetable stock. So with that, all you would need is prosciutto and Parmesan cheese. Toss those in some Parmesan cheese and some olive oil, and then wrap a half a slice of prosciutto around the bottom half of the asparagus and just pop them in the oven for about 10, 13 minutes. And and you have a great antipasto or a great light lunch. Mm -hmm. That's definitely easy enough. Some of the other recipes that I would advocate folks try early is Pasta alla Norcia, which is, Norcia is a city in Umbria. It's a regional dish frequently made uh, in this particular town because Umbria actually has, is very well known for sausage. They use a lot of pork products. So this particular dish is made with cream, sausage, and wine sautéed, and then added some rotinis frequently used for this dish. And this, again, doesn't call for a lot of ingredients and just comes together very quickly. Yeah, maybe as an example, I'll um, type that one up and put it in our show notes so people can see how you lay these out in here. Yes, please do. I think that folks would really uh, enjoy that one. It's a nice first course. Uh, It's a little bit heavy because of the cream. So you could use it as not just a first course, but an only course because it's probably fulfilling enough for a full meal in itself. And it's delicious and it's traditionally made with hot sausage, but you could also make it with uh, sweet sausage if you prefer. One other question I've always wondered is when we talk about trying to get the best ingredients that you can get, are there things that you could get in Italy that you just can't get here in the U.S.? There really isn't. So I know different parts of the country. I'm spoiled. I'm in Boston. I have a whole, in Boston's north end, I have an entire three or four streets just lined with Italian products. But even in nowadays, you can get anything even online. I feel like as long as you have good Parmesan cheese in the house, good olive oil, a good balsamic vinegar, and some nice fresh herbs, that alone will take you far. It really will. And the things that you have to watch for are the ones that are mass-produced. Those are the ones 
foods you you would want to avoid but even like uh parmesan cheese made here in the states now if it's from a local cheese shop it's going to be delicious <laughs> yeah you also say in here to avoid things like pre-shredded cheese even yeah. though it makes your life a lot easier maybe it's yeah. the trade-off is no good it's not good no it's filled with fillers wood chips and it's all legal too which is the scary stuff um, but a, about a percent of it um is potentially plastic or wood chips wow how scary is that right yeah yeah with all your studying of food i mean are you are there tons of things that are in the market that you're terrified of yes yes <laughs> and, and you know one of the things that my clients from the culinary tours are really getting a much more of an appreciation for now is the cost when you see parmesan cheese at 24.99 a pound you're like oh my god that's crazy i, I can't do that but having gone there, we having gone to an actual factory and see how it's made and how pristine the process is, the same with prosciutto, it really justifies the cost. And you're going to find that you're going to need a lot less of those ingredients in your dishes. So the cost at the end of the day, it's not going to be much more because you're not going to need as much because the stuff is very flavorful. Well, and how long does a cheese like that last? Like if I spring for a good chunk of it? Yes. Well, you know. You're not going to be buying pound, probably more than half a pound of it. And if you shred what you need for a particular, like the the asparagus, you're not going to need more than a few tablespoons of that. If you shred it when you need it, so it's nice and fresh. So um, don't pre-shred it, even for yourself. Don't pre-shred it because it'll dry out. Um, just wrap it in plastic and foil and put it in the fridge, and it will last several months, easy. And for oils too, do they last for a long time? Because you also encourage really get an olive oil that tastes like a yeah, lot, yeah. tastes really good to you, not right. one that's just like, nah, it doesn't taste like anything, <laughs> you know? Well, olive oil will go rancid if you leave it in the cupboard for too long. So you'd, you wouldn't want to leave it there indefinitely. But even with olive oil, for cooking, as I mentioned in the book, I advocate just olive oil. If you're going to eat it, what in Italy we call raw, like just over some salad or some grilled vegetables, spring for the extra virgin. Because when you cook the, the flavor of the extra virgin, you're going to cook it off. So even some like Whole Foods brands are nice. Uh, Newman's Organic are very nice olive oils. Even those are delicious and they're not overly expensive. And you could have one bottle of plain olive oil and one the extra virgin for drizzling on top of your final dish and do you keep that in the fridge then the olive oil no okay no you just don't want it lingering around your house for like a year exactly well. and a lot you know a lot of people what i've noticed too what they do i've noticed this from my private cooking classes is that they'll put it in the cupboard which their cupboard's usually right next to their stove so you don't want to keep it in a place where it's hot right where it's going to heat it up so just put it in the cupboard a little bit further away from your oven or your stove dark place in a dark bottle and it'll keep for several months you just don't want it to go indefinitely right yeah and if you're not used to olive oil i mean olive oil can uh, some olive oils are very strong some are actually too strong for some people so just buy like the smaller size bottle and until you find one that you like and do a little taste testing and it may be a little bit of a process to find the one that you like yeah, that was another thing I appreciated in this book is that you do lay out some of the national brands that you would consider good. And I didn't want to just advocate for the imported stuff because I'm lucky because I can get imported stuff here in the North End, but your listeners are lower, right? So they may not have access to that. So I wanted to make sure that I also promoted some U.S. made products that are of good quality and they are out there. 
Yeah. Do you want to tell us one other brand that you really like that's a U.S. brand? So, so for tomato sauce, I really like Pastine. Mm-hmm. It's a household name. You can find it, I'm sure, nationally. Uh, it's good quality, and it makes a great plain tomato sauce. I use that when I make stuffed pastas as well. Again, some of the whole food brand items are really delicious. What do you think of the stuff at Trader Joe's? I was just going to say, that's actually a very nice uh, store with great products. I shop at myself all the time. They have their own Italian-inspired line, which is delicious. It's certainly more attainable for folks. Yeah, yeah. except I think their pesto is always a little too salty for me. <laughs> and I'm a salt addict, so... I do not say that lightly. <laughs> I can't say that I've had their salt, their pesto. Uh, I do have a recipe in the book for it. You'll see how easy it is to make your own. I know. I'm, as soon as summer comes back around, I'm going to give it a try. I was just going to say we're a little out of season for it now, but um, it's very, very easy to make at home. Well, the book is called The Five Ingredient Italian Cookbook, 101 Regional Classics Made Simple. I'd love to hear from your listeners and uh, let me know how the recipes worked out for them. I'm happy to take uh, questions that people have to and run them by you if, if they need to. Yes, please. So <laughs> The Five Ingredient Italian Cookbook. Thank you so much for coming back on the show and talking to us again. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, you got me back in the kitchen. Good. Well, until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Hi, it's Tiffany again. Just a reminder that you have the chance to win a copy of the five ingredient Italian cookbook by Francesca Montello. Just visit our Instagram page at the bittersweet life podcast for all of the instructions on how to participate in this giveaway. Bye.